We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning. I got home last Sunday and realized that uh, I had about three pages of notes left that I didn't get to. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll let that go. And uh, we're talking about becoming who God created us to be. Uh, I have recognized for decades that most of the children of God live so far beneath uh, what God has intended for us to enjoy as as his people, as Christians. And, you know, one of the, one of the biggest regrets of life when you get to my age is that you realize things you've left on the table that you didn't need to leave on the table. And there's places that, you know, I think they did a survey couple decades ago about the greatest regrets that people had about their life. And number one on the list was most people regretted not taking more risk in life. That, uh, you know, most of us, uh, we take prudence to a... uh, you know, to a level that uh, inhibits our life and we don't grow in places that we could. Eleanor Roosevelt made this statement. She said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And that's really true, is that often we let other people define us I think, you know, in some ways, the greatest blessing God gives to your life is parents, and at other times, it's the biggest curse, because if if your parents are not insightful, if, if, they're, if they are not, if they don't have a frame of reference that God is up to more in your life than what anybody other other people recognize and, and and can see that sometimes the greatest limitations you have in life are placed on upon you by your families and by uh, you know people that you grow up with that seem to instill you in, into your mind limitations where God does not intend for you to have limitations. I think one of the things that is missed by probably the overwhelming majority of humanity is that God plans your life. God plans your life. You're not a mistake. Uh, that you are the crowning uh, work of God's creation. God was going to create his image, and he needed a place for them to have habitation. So all that we see created in the world, all previous five days of creation led up to the sixth day of creation when God created man in his own image and in his own likeness. Your beginning and my beginning occurred in God, not in your parents. Not in your parents. It wasn't a choice that your parents made. It was a choice that God made. Uh, you know, some of us, uh, we, we, we know when our parents got married, and it doesn't take a scientist to, you know, look and see that uh, they got married because we were on the way, not that they got married and then we became on the way. But understand, 
while it may have been an accident to them, it's not an accident to God. Because he gave us what he gave no other part of creation. God placed his breath in us, and he gave us his image. The breath that you breathe is God's breath, and the image that God wants you to live out in your life is the image of God. Psalms 139, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsittings and my uprisings. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, for it is high I cannot attain to it. So whither shall I go from thy spirit, and whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, Thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall uphold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be a light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. And darkness and light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins and hast covered me with my mother's wombs. Reins in Scripture speaks of the liver. The Hebrew had a thought that all of the atomical life within us emanated out of the liver. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, curiously wrought. These words translated in English is embroidered in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when they were yet was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand when I awake I am still with thee. I think it's important to understand that no human life is an afterthought of God. That nothing about your life is an afterthought of God. Psalms 139 gives such a full and intricate and complete uh, scope of God's intention for every human life. And it's grand in its concept, although the psalmist knew nothing about DNA code. The DNA code of every in individual life is so intricate that it would take a multitude of volumes of expression to tell the code of the DNA code in each individual life here today. So my question is this, who wrote the code? Uh, with all of the advancement of technology and the advance in science, there is no entity of science that has really unraveled and completely understands DNA code. Uh, 
if DNA was like the discovery of America, it would be like whoever was the first, whether it was Vikings, whether it was uh, Columbus, whoever it was, what we know about the human body and the human life is like Columbus just stepping on the shoreline and saying he discovered America. And there's a whole continent of which he has not explored. Only God understands the completion of the DNA code that makes up your life and makes up my life. And you have to understand that he wove within that DNA code the intricate possibility of who you are and what you can become. And in Psalms 139, it would take a lifetime to unpack it and, and to teach all the intricacies that's in it. And obviously, time does not afford us to do that. In verse 1, he said, he has searched me. That cert word search means to pierce through. It means to see through. It's, it's like intricate analysis. It's like someone searching for someone that is, 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 is precious. Uh, my first pastorate was in northern Arizona, and we, we, uh, there was a uh, copper mine that was 60 miles from the city of Prescott. And uh, started a Bible study in, 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 in Baghdad where the mine was, and we won quite a few people that was driving 60 miles from uh, Baghdad one way to church every Sunday, and uh, some of them would even drive to our midweek service on Wednesday. And so we started a church there and built a church there. But in the what I found out that in that, that copper mine, that the turquoise and the gold and the bauxite they took out of the mine, completely paid for all the entire operation, that what they sold in copper was pure profit. And, uh, you know, we, we understand that gold just doesn't lay on the top of the ground. You just can't go pick it up. That it has to be dug for and found, and rarely do you find a rich vein of just pure gold that was very unusual in gold mining that you had to you had to take it's like in a copper mine they would bring out millions of ton of rock a year to just distill a few hundred pounds of copper out of the smelting process uh no forensic analysis could ever uncover what God plans and knows about you. As I said, God is not concerned about how you were conceived. God's concern is just that you were conceived. That you're not a mistake. You do understand that in the average conception of a human life, that there are like several million different sperm that compete to fertilize the one egg that's in your mother's womb. And each one of those sperm, of those several million, will produce a totally different human entity than what you are. And, and so... I just don't think that uh, who you've become and who you are is an accident, but that you were planned by God, that whoever you are, whatever race you are, whatever sex you are, God planned for you to be that race and that sex. God planned it. And so to despise who you are is to despise what God has created. Uh, the psalmist doesn't describe the mother or the father. 
And while genetics was unknown to the psalmist, I understand that what God has placed in each of us is greater than any contribution that we have from our parentage that comes out of our parents. You are more than just genes and chromosomes because every one of us is gifted differently. We're different people. Even children born in the same family have different qualities and different attributes and different gifts and different personalities. Uh, one of the things that amazes me is that, you know, and, and uh, you know, since I've married Ivana, my, my world has greatly expanded. I've visited places in this world that I would have never visited otherwise. And, and you know, that's because she has this, this thing about travel. Uh, people spend billions of dollars annually to take vacations to travel places so that they can view different and varied landscapes and flora and fauna. But you do understand that there is no landscape as, as stunning as you are. There is no creation of God that is as breathtaking as you are as an individual because you are the crown of God's creation and every human is incredible and a stunning work of God. Now, I know that I'm seeing the looks on your faces of, you know, who, me? Yeah, you. You, I'm talking about you. I'm talking to you. This is what the Scripture said. This isn't what David Fuller thinks. This is what God says. The psalmist is completely, he's expressing his, how much overwhelmed he is when he has been visited with a revelation of understanding of what God created him to be, that God sees every casual act that has ever occurred in your life. He sees every moment of your life. He knows every motive that you've ever had in your life. He's been there every moment of your life. He knows every maneuver you've made. Not only does he number your hair, the word in the scripture there for numbered is cataloged. He knows what color every one of them is. He knows how long each one of them is. He knows which are died and which are real. He's cataloged them. He knows you that intimately. He said he has set before you and behind you. God has you surrounded as in a siege. You remember some years ago I did this illustration of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, thou walk through the valley shadow of death. I'll fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Thou prepares a table before in the presence of mine enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. You see, you've walked in the world with God in front of you, with his rod on one side, his staff on the other, and goodness and mercy following you. Why does goodness and mercy follow you and not go ahead of you? Because goodness and mercy follows you to pick up all your mistakes, to cover all your failures, to hide all of your misgivings under His grace and under His blood. Amen. God doesn't define you by anything in your past. God could care less about your past. He could care less about whatever mistake you've made in your past. When you look at those in the Scripture, you know, and I've been guilty of it as a preacher, you know, you almost glorify these Old Testament characters. 
you make them almost angelic. But when you really look at the life of every Old and New Testament character, they were a mess. They were a mess. The Scripture says Elijah, a man of like passions as we are. It's hard to imagine that Elijah had my problems or that Elijah had your problems, but he did. He really did. But yet God used him. Now, what man here has ever to your wife ponder off as your sister to allow him to be sexually violated by a man that was a foreigner on two different occasions? And the Bible writes that he staggered not at the promises of God. God, are you blind? Abraham was not this perfect individual. None of the Old Testament or New Testament characters were superhuman individuals. Bible heroes were far from perfect people. Far from perfect people. But God chose them and God used them. Because you and I by ourselves are going to self-destruct. What makes the difference in our life is having God in our life. It's not that a saint is any better individual than a sinner. It's just that a saint has God in their life and a sinner does not. We often make the same mistakes but the one thing about the child of God, when he falls, he falls forward. He doesn't fall backwards. David said, this such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And, and, I, and I know that, you know, that, and, and I understood, you know, and I talked to God about this, that, you know, Lord, this just sounds too embellished, just too made up for the common human and individual to embrace it. But this, this is Bible. David said, I can't attain it. I can't, I can't wrap my head around what you have created for me and what you have chosen for me to be. You know, one of the foundations of Greek philosophy was to know yourself. Know yourself. That's impossible. Only God can know yourself. Jeremiah said that the heart of all of us is deceitful and desperately wicked in all of its ways. Who can know it? Amaziah told the prophet, am I a dog that I would do the things that you prophesied? But he did worse. He was worse than what the prophet had prophesied about his life. That's why David said, search me and know me, O God. Save me, deliver me from my presumptuous sins. Try me, know me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God. We see so much wrong with ourselves as individuals that it's easy to impeach ourselves and to see that there's no way that God could use me or that I could be of any kind of worth and value to God. But in these passages of Scripture, not just these in Psalms 139, but through all throughout Scripture, God reveals powerful truths about who we can become through Him because he, we have been given. Every human life <coughs> has been given both His image and His breath. 
you know, when you read Psalms 139, you understand that David knew nothing about embryology. He knew nothing about the process of incubation. He had no understanding that every human life emanates and begins as almost a one-cell entity. David did not know that we're made up of these microscopic cells. Every human cell has, and this is, you know, Google. I don't know whether Google is right or not, but every human cell has about 200 trillion atoms. And every human cell is a tiny, small, miniature universe. And each cell has a specialized function. And somehow in the DNA code in the womb, every individual cell knew how to become brain cells and lung cells and heart cells and bone cells and blood cells. Every human cell has this specialized function. And the human body understands that too much of this hormone is harmful and more of this hormone is actually beneficial to your life. That a little too much of this hormone would kill you and a little too less of this hormone. You know, and that in our bodies there are these parameters of, you know, your blood pressure could be a little high or a little low and you can function normally. That blood metabolism can be they always give you know I, I get i have my annual autopsy around march of every year you know and uh the doctor gives me this printout of and it gives these parameters of every kind of little test they run on me uh, and you know if they're in the normal range there's these parameters that it gives and and, and you know, God created that because he knew that we don't live in stagnant environments, that our environments fluctuate, and so that we need to be able to adjust physiologically to the circumstances of life around us and continue to be able to function. And everything in our body works on an intricate time schedule. You've never since your birth thought about taking your next breath except in some times of medical emergency, but you breathe automatically. You never think about, all right, heartbeat, all right, heartbeat, all right, heartbeat, all right, heartbeat. It just does it in synchronization automatically. Every cell knows when to, when to grow, when to divide, when to break hormones, when the, bo when the body needs more insulin or the stomach needs more digestive acids to uh, digest food or in the mouth that there's these enzymes that break down milk that milk cannot be uh, digested in your stomach it's digested in your mouth because there's enzymes in your mouth that doesn't exist in your stomach that helps you break down milk now you know God knew that God knew that before man ever understood it do you realize that every minutes you live, three billion cells in your body die. But also three billion new cells are born every minute that you live. Every second, thousands of coordinated events take place in your, in your humanity. You swallowed and forgot it. You took a breath. You didn't realize it. Your heart beat. You never acknowledged it. It is said that each square inch of skin, I don't know who counted them, but that each square inch of, of human skin has about a, one billion cells. And when you think about it, that you're born with about 300 billion brain cells, and they never reju rejuvenate, they never repopulate, Billions of red blood cells. Now, David didn't know that, yet he was awed at the creation of God. And as science has progressed and given us more and more information, 
I think that all of us needs to be a little more and treat ourselves with a little more sacredness than what we do. He possessed just a minute amount of knowledge that we possess today, yet he was awed. David said that God has this complete book on you, this complete book that records everything that he created for you to accomplish and to become in your life. So what I'm here to say to us today is we need to stop playing around the table of contents and get on to the story of our lives. And the beautiful thing about God is it doesn't matter when you come to God. Moses came to God about the age of 40. He began his ministry about the age of 80. And he died at about 120. I don't care what your age is, you still have time to accomplish the purposes of God in your life. God is capable of restoring the years that the palmer worm and the canker worm and the caterpillar have eaten. You do understand that in the context of that passage of Scripture, the palmer worm ate one part of the tree. The canker worm ate another part of the tree. The caterpillar ate another part of the tree. Some ate leaves, some ate branches, some destroyed the roots. But God said, even if you've been destroyed to the roots, I can restore you. That's the beautiful thing about grace. Yeah, there's not a person here today that hasn't messed up the blueprint that God has designed for your life. None of us have arrived where we are without messing up the blueprint. But the beauty of grace is that it offers us the opportunity, regardless of where we are in life, to rewrite, to rewrite the story. Every editor edits the final draft before a book is published. Salvation is not just about your future. Salvation goes all the way back to the day you were born and redeems every failure you've had throughout your life. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of grace. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how badly you have failed. It doesn't matter how badly. One of the things that I understand is this, is that some of us were born in very endearing atmospheres. We grew up as a child understanding the role of God in our lives. Others here today never had that privilege and have spent many years in your life growing up without a knowledge or, or without any aspect of your life. You'll find this in Scripture. Paul was an adult man before grace ever found him, while David started as a young child being tutored in the knowledge of God. But it didn't retard Paul's usefulness and his purpose in life because he started late. Neither did it Moses. Neither did it Abraham. So wherever you're starting from, you have the ability to accomplish your purposes in life. Salvation is not just about your future. God not only redeems your future, but he also redeems your past. David said, God thinks precious thoughts 
concerning you. You've heard me make this statement. You know, I've never faulted anyone for having episodes of not liking me in, in their life because I don't like me all the time. My feelings about myself fluctuate. Every human has those fluctuations in their life. And if I don't like me all the time, I have to recognize that you may not like me all the time, and I have to be okay with that. I have to understand that you have the same ebb and flow as I do about myself. But God thinks precious thoughts concerning you. And he said, if you can number all the sands on all the shorelines of the world, they would not cover the thoughts that God thinks concerning you. I think it's criminal not to consider that God considers us. That God considers us. So, the question is, why am I here? Why are you here? Every one of us have our own unique purpose for life. But we all have the same purpose in life. And that is we are born to expose the nature of God. We're here to manifest His glory. The glory of God is the excess of His nature that isn't expressed anywhere else in His creation. You do understand that all that we see in the created world is not the best that God was capable of doing. He just did it, he got finished, and he rested. It's not that he couldn't have done any more, it's that he did enough for his image and his likeness to thrive. Corinthians tells us that glories differently, that the glory of one thing is different than the glory of another thing. Why is that so? It talks about the heavens, the glory of the heavens. The glory of the sun is different than the glory of the moon. The glory of the stars are different than the glory of the sun and the moon. You are a unique expression of God's glory an expression of God's glory that no one else in this universe has the ability to express the glory that only you can express by, about God. You were born to express an as aspect of God's glory that no one else can express. If you're an introvert, you're an extrovert, whatever you are, we make such a deal. You know, we have these standards. You know, Miss America contest, Miss World contest, Miss Universe contest. And they have this standard of what is a standard of human beauty. And, you know, I've never watched these programs, but I've seen the result of them. And it's very rare that really the most attractive woman in my eye was selected as the most beautiful. But you see, anytime you focus on the physical frame, that's all you're looking at. It's like going to the Louvre in Paris. And going up to the Mona Lisa, saying, wow, what a frame. What a frame. You miss the picture. It's all about the picture. It's, it's about the spirit, the heart, the life, 
the character. That's what it's about. Your physical appearance is just the frame. And the truth is, you have pretty much nothing to do with the frame. Now, you can touch it up and, you know, put, it, put your best face forward. But it's still a frame. There's only so much you can do with a frame. But the picture is what you have the power to change and to alter. And the, the picture is your spirit, your personality, your heart, your character, your integrity. That's why you find some people that live almost their adult life not even knowing God who have a better picture, a presentation than those who have lived in the church for decades because they focused on their life, the essence of the picture of their life. When God gave me the revelation of this, I begin to look at human life differently. And I see in you facets and ways that I see the picture of God that I see in no one else. You have a unique way of reflecting the glory and the image of God that no one else has. Just like the glory of the heavens, the Grand Canyon has its beauty, but Yosemite has a total, totally different landscape of beauty, as does Yellowstone, as does Tuscany, as does Poland, as does Eastern United States, Western United States, Niagara Falls, the Everglades. But all of those vistas pale in comparison to you because you express a, express a glory of God that is unique. Paul said it this way, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Then Peter said, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should be show forth the praises of him. That word praises is actually a word translated virtue. To show forth the virtue of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What Peter wrote, Literally, is you're an elected kin, an elected kin. None of us were born again when we were born. We're born again and adopted in the body of Christ. And in that birth, that new birth, you become, you transfer your lineage from human to spiritual from what your parents gave you to what God puts in your life. Every human in God's eyes is royal, and it hurts the heart of God to see people that are royal living such commoner lives. He said, you're a morally blameless race. How can God see me as morally blameless? I guess it's the same way Jude can talk about that righteous lot. It's by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. When I realized that I could do nothing to save myself, if God doesn't save me, I'm sunk, you're sunk, we're all sunk. that we are a purchased possession 
not just adopted, but purchased. God bought you. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are the Lord's. To celebrate the virtue of him who brought you out of obscurity into a wonderful illumination. It boils down to this. I think it's time that as Christians we knock off the limitations of our life. And to glimpse the things that God sees that we are capable of. There are things that are possible in our life that were not possible to Old Testament patriarchs. They look forward to the promises that are made complete in us. That's why he can say, greater things than these shall ye do because I go to my Father. All of us are capable of greater lives, of more powerful lives than what we live. He said, whatsoever things ye desire. To desire something is to crave it at the expense of other things in your life. Jesus tells the parable about a man who was plowing a field and his plowshare hit something in the ground. And he dug down and found that he had unearthed a treasure. Now the law of that time was finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You ever heard that statement? If you found the treasure on another man's property, if you found it, it belonged to you. But to make sure, the Bible said he went and sold all that he had to buy the field. This is worth selling everything you have and everything you are to possess. A relationship with God is worth everything in your life. That everything is possible. It doesn't guarantee it, but it says it is possible to him that believes. Not who has an idea. Reality doesn't come simply out of, out of ideas. It must be translated into belief. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, mega, above all that we can ask or think or imagine, according to the power that worketh in us. What it's saying to us is to take God's thoughts that are expressed into his words and to translate them into God's imagined plan for our lives. The Scripture tells us that the things written aforetime were written unto our admonition unto whom the ends of the world are come. Problems emanate out of life when we have no plan that we are following for our lives. If there's no vision pulling on you, Habits of the past will continually drag you backward over the same old ground. Because you were made in His image, you share in the potential as God manifested in the flesh. I've often said if He was manifested in the flesh but once, that's not enough. God intends for him to himself to be manifested over and over and over again unto the glory that you're capable of expressing of God. You realize that a person is more valuable than the place they live. I know I'm over time, but this is so important. You realize that there is a, that a person is more valuable than the place they lived. Heaven's streets are paved with the material that has the highest value in our culture, in our society. Heaven is an extremely special place because it's prepared for one people in mind 
and that's a child of God. In coming lessons, we're going to discuss more about faith. Faith is the evidence of things that are not seen, not things that do not exist. You don't see them yet. Everything in our visible world at one time was invisible. But God called them out of himself and brought them into the visible world. There were no... There was no dry land. There was no earth. There were no stars and moons. They were invisible, but they were in God. And God called them out of himself and spoke them into existence. It was in God, though it's not visible. You do realize there are things in God that are not visible in our culture because nobody has ever called them out of God in faith. There are things that are happening in our nation that if the church doesn't rise up and stand in faith and call things out of the spirit world that do not exist in our world, our world is damned. There are people in our lives whose lives will only change if we call things out of God into reality. That's what faith is. Faith is Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible. Everything has everything that exists, everything that man has made was once invisible. But he saw it, he thought it, he planned it, he developed it, he brought it into reality. God operates the same way. You have to think it, you have to believe it, and call it out of God into reality. There are things we can possess in God that we do not see right now, but by faith we can bring them into visibility. Amen. There are things in your life that are waking, waiting to be birthed and to born into your personality and into your gifts and into your abilities. They are waiting. Every birth is a painful process. Every birth requires an incubation. Mary understood that that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Ghost. God is still trying to conceive in the bosom of his people things of the Holy Ghost that only we can give birth to, that only you can give birth to. I'm not called to give birth to them, but you're called to give birth to them. Amen. I'm over time. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.